Hey, everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, we're talking about microbiology and the top five things we just don't understand why other people like. Bacteria control our entire lives. Like, they control my life, of course, but they control just the world, and that's why they're the coolest things ever. We've known for a while certain bacteria, certain viruses make people sick. Certain fungi make people sick. Uh, But we're really understanding now that it's the entire microbiome, so the entire group of bacteria and microbes living in a certain spot that can control the health of their host. Most of the probiotic supplements that people are taking are absolute garbage. Um, very happy to uh, to put that out there. At the most, they might have 10 different strains of bacteria. And in your gut, you have thousands of different types of bacteria. I really think that our definition of microbiology and possibly our definition of life is going to change in the next couple of hundred years, especially as we start exploring other planets. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So I have always been fascinated by the unseen world. The things that we don't see and maybe don't even know about that just have this huge impact on everything that we do. Microbiology is a great example of that, and our first guest is an expert in microbiology, and she has this fascinating insight into what exactly is in the microbial world and what that means from everything for our health to the food that we grow and more. I want to caution you, though. If you don't know anything about microbiology, like I don't know anything about microbiology, this conversation can be a little bit like a beautiful hiking trail that starts in a swamp before it gets to this amazing mountain. And I mean that in the sense that there's some concepts that we talk about at the beginning that can be a little bit hard to get through. But once you you have a grasp on these concepts, the impact of them is just unbelievable because there is so much there. This is microbiologist... Dr. Susanna Harris. What is microbiology? You can break it down into micro and biology, right? So it's the study of tiny life. Generally, the idea of tiny life meaning that you can't see the individual components without a microscope. So when I think of it, I kind of think of, all right, there's viruses and there's bacteria. Are those the Mm. two main things or is there a lot more than that? It's kind of an interesting question, and and same with everything in biology, right? There's not really a a clear line anywhere, but we've got viruses and bacteria. There's also uh, an entire kingdom called archae, uh, which for a while people lumped in with bacteria, but they're so different. They're basically aliens compared to bacteria, but they're about the same size. Uh, And also included in microbiology are single-celled eukaryotic organisms. So um, you can think about the little tardigrades, little water bears which I think are adorable, or um, there's like different kinds of fungi have very small individual cellular uh, life versions. So microbiology is cool because it does overlap into all of these different spaces. And even so my degree is microbiology and immunology. So a lot of microbiologists also study individual cells and uh, different components of human bodies that you couldn't otherwise study 
So when we talk about these, these, these microorganisms, are they alive like we're alive? They think they have a goal, so to speak, or are they alive like machines and they're just trying to accomplish what their genetics tell them to do? this because now I'm, I'm having an existential crisis over here. Um, so I guess it kind of goes back to the question of, of how much decision-making do we even have? Are we just going off of our genetic programming, and what does that mean? Are we programmed to think the way we do? Uh, the question of life in microbiology is pretty contentious. So going back to those two things that you brought up originally, the viruses versus bacteria, bacteria we know are alive. Some of the requirements of being alive are um, maintaining uh, some homeostasis, being able to replicate themselves, uh, being able to have a metabolism. So they take in energy and they use it. Uh, and, and viruses are kind of interesting because they can't do a lot of those things without having a host cell. So they can't replicate on their own. They can't make uh, or use their own energy. And so it's a question of do they exist as life forms? Are they just hijacking cells? Then there's questions of there's actually bacteria that hijack other cells. Uh, but in short, uh, most of these bacteria uh, are, are functioning on kind of just external stimulus. So whatever they're experiencing on the outside, they are programmed to have specific responses to. Uh, and so we don't really think about them having a motive. A lot of times we kind of give them these these ideas of, oh, the virus is trying to wipe out the population or the bacteria is trying to get in. Um, it's, it's really more of a fact that the bacteria, the virus, is only going to survive if it does certain behaviors in certain contexts. And so... I don't know, though. I, I don't know how you can break that apart from, let's say, a goldfish or your pet dog or, or even people. That makes sense. But like bacteria aren't, you know, like uh, dogs will run and play together, so to speak. Like mm. bacteria aren't necessarily, they're not doing things like that, right? They're just kind of being bacteria. Does that make sense? Uh. It totally makes sense. It's, it's absolutely what, what most people think of. Um, and actually, this is what got me really, uh, really, really interested in microbiology, past the point of just wanting to go to a, a college and study it. So in, in, uh, in high school, I took an AP bio class, and we spent a couple days learning about bacteria and viruses and spe specifically bacteriophages, which are viruses that infect bacteria. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I found out, you know, hey, I wanted to go to college anyway. I knew I wanted to study science. Let's go get a, P or let's go get, uh, a BS in microbiology. And while I was there, I got an offer to work in a research lab that was studying this bacterium called Myxococcus xanthus. And Myxo is something that lives in the soil. It doesn't hurt people. It doesn't really help people that much. You know, it's not going to be the cure for diseases and it's also not going to make people sick. But it was really fascinating to learn about because Myxo is known for having these extremely complex multicellular behaviors. So each individual bacterium can survive on its own. But when they get together in clumps, what will actually happen is that they will divvy up tasks. So it's sort of like they create their own little city where some of the different cells are doing things like catching nutrients and digesting them, and other of the cells are creating little spaces that are extremely protected in case some sort of uh, maybe amoeba comes by and tries to eat them or gets really dried out. And so in this case, 
the cells are signaling to each other kind of similarly to how dogs would when they're playing of, okay, we're going to go this way, or we're going to share this behavior. Uh, And that's, I think, what's really cool is that it does cross over into that point of, are these actually individual bacteria that we should study all by themselves, you know, one by one? Or do we need to understand how these could exist as a group, or even eventually how they could exist as groups of groups altogether? So they do, I mean, I guess the better way for me to to phrase that would be, do they have intelligence? Um, I don't think, I mean, they're, they're, they don't have, uh, we, we don't think of them as being able to understand the future or necessarily making decisions based on what they anticipate will happen. It's much more based on the, the behaviors that they exhibit, the things that they do, um, are kind of pre-programmed based on in the past, one of their ancestors faced the same choice and the ancestor who made you know, the specific decision that allowed them to live ended up making a bunch more bacteria. And so that pre-programmed choice is kind of hardwired in as part of what is going to allow them to make a decision. So I guess, uh, I don't know, it's, it's one of those questions, I think you could ask any microbiologist, and, and we'll do this sort of horrible back and forth thing where um, they're not they're not sitting around having a convention saying, like, let's make somebody sick. Uh, but they do actually communicate with each other so that they can make someone sick. You mentioned the, the RK. What's what's so unique about them that you think of them as like aliens? Yeah, so this kind of gets into the differences of what we can see under a microscope and kind of how we're looking at it and saying, oh, these are basically the same size, shape, they're probably the same. Uh, it would be sort of the same as if we looked at lizards and cats, right, where on, on the surface we look at them and we say, okay, they're, you know, about... 15 to 20 pounds for a really large iguana. Um, they have four feet, they have a tail. So this is the same exact thing, right? But if you, if you showed someone a lizard and a cat, they would say, no, those are definitely very different. Uh, that's sort of the same thing with, uh, archaea and bacteria where they're often similar sizes. They're really tiny. Um, archaea are interesting because a lot of them can live in super extreme environments. So these are the things when we talk about, can we find life at the bottom of the ocean or uh, encapsulated in the coldest places in the world or in those deep sea vents or near volcanoes? It's oftentimes archaea uh, that are known as extremophiles, meaning that they love extreme conditions. Uh, but they're so different in terms of their DNA. Uh, it basically, it, it looks like that if you started off in, in one place, like let's say you were making, uh, making a meal and you had a handful of ingredients if you mix them together one way, it's going to turn out into a soup. If you mix them into another way, it's going to end up being a pie. Um, they're so different. They would be like having completely different starting materials, but still ending up with a soup, if that makes sense. Is that kind of where life started? Is that what they're thinking? So it's a good question. Basically, they're thinking that the branching point between these groups was really, really, really long ago. Um, so if we look at them, 
we might say, okay, they have similar behaviors or the same size, um, so they're probably pretty similar. But we can trace back their lineage and say, wow, these were not connected with each other almost all the way back to when we can try to figure out what that origination point was. So when we're looking at when did eukaryotes split off from bacteria, so when did these, we call them eukaryotes because they're called true cells, uh, they have membranes and they have organelles. If you've ever heard, mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cell. That's what they're talking about, that these little organelles exist in these eukaryotic cells. When they split off from bacteria, um, it was around that time and maybe even further back that archaea split off in their own direction. So it's sort of these different families of when when they started being distinct, when they started moving away from each other and instead of them being kind of like siblings, they get closer to being cousins and then far, far family members. Uh, and it's... It's so interesting. I think it's a really great example of how science is constantly changing and our definitions are changing is that a lot of people that I know uh, who are around my age, I'm uh, 28 right now, are right on that cusp of being taught that archaea and bacteria are basically the same thing. Uh, and, you know, this tree of life is constantly being redrawn, refigured, um, because we're getting this new knowledge and we're saying, okay, we're not classifying by how they behave anymore. We're looking at their DNA and understanding where all these things changed. So when you look at bacteria, like how much do we really know about them on a scale of like one to 10, one, we know absolutely nothing. 10, we got this whole thing figured out. Where do you think that we are now? Huh. It's, that's a great question. I hmm. I guess it's, it's one of those things that I just... Wow, this one's tricky. Um, well, let's... I guess we could put it this way, is that like 100 years ago, we didn't really know what viruses were. Right. Like understanding what viruses are versus bacteria, that's been a, a relatively new thing to realize that those are so distinct. And then it was actually less than 100 years ago that we found out um, that DNA was the the molecule that contained all of the genetic materials and it wasn't any other part of the cell. So uh, knowing that DNA is really important is only, you know, 80 years old, I think, at this point. Uh, so I guess in terms of that, it's, I think we know increasingly more about certain things. I, I really think that our definition of microbiology and possibly our definition of life is going to change in the next couple of hundred years, especially as we start exploring other planets. Um, we definitely understand a lot more about the microbes that affect human health more than before. And a big change is actually going back to that idea of community interactions where We've known for a while certain bacteria, certain viruses make people sick, certain fung fungi make people sick. Uh, but we're really understanding now that it's the entire microbiome, so the entire group of bacteria and microbes living in a certain spot that can control the health of their host. Uh, so it's not just the case of... I end up getting some sort of bacteria while I'm on a trip and it upsets my stomach and then I take antibiotics and I clear that out and we're all done. Understanding that there's also a ton of really healthy bacteria that are helping me to be more healthy and that disturbing that balance could actually be really 
damaging. Um, for those pieces, we know that it's important, but we really, really don't understand a lot. You're talking about like kind of what what are they probiotics and stuff like that, or is that yes. is that garbage? Is that a real thing? Like the oh. supplements that people get, or is that? Oh, I can't. Okay, you yeah. That sounds um, like it's a yes. That's garbage, <laughs> and people shouldn't worry about it. <laughs> uh, so the. There's two pieces. One is that like we definitely were covered in healthy bacteria. We need our bacteria. The last thing we want is to get rid of all of our healthy flora, so the little living creatures in us. Um, most of the probiotic supplements that people are taking are absolute garbage. Um, very happy to uh, to put that out there because it, it's sort of similar to the vitamin situation where if you're not getting enough certain vitamins, you definitely need to supplement those. Uh, but most people who are eating fruits and vegetables and some proteins are probably getting all the vitamins they need. And so those extras are at the very least just getting washed out of your body. What we know there's about probiotics for human health. Um, we know that you need these good bacteria. We know that certain foods might uh, allow your stomach and your gut a lot of these bacteria live in your intestines, um, allow that balance to be maintained better. But if you look at probiotics, at, at the most, they might have 10 different strains of bacteria. And in your gut, you have thousands of different types of bacteria. Uh, and so it would be a bit like having a forest fire and saying, well, we need to repopulate this forest. Let's throw in a ton of squirrels. You'll have a population, but that doesn't mean it's a healthy environment. Uh, and so you're a lot better off eating these fermented foods and eating um, like fiber-rich food, uh, organic types of vegetables and things. And those are actually called prebiotics. So the the conditions, the nutrients that you add that allow healthy bacteria to live are called prebiotics. Um, the bacteria themselves are probiotics. I personally would never spend money on probiotics. There's a really cool study showing that uh, if you take antibiotics, which are going to kill all your bacteria, right? If you take antibiotics and then you take a probiotic, it takes your body longer to get back to its normal state than if you had just taken the antibiotics themselves. Can you kind of change that bacterial environment within your body or is it basically always going to be the same? Oh, yeah. Our, our microbiome changes constantly. And it seems like little changes can affect it pretty drastically. So if you're eating a bunch of sugar or a bunch of fat or uh, let's say you're eating a ton of carrots, maybe you take a certain type of medication, all of these different things are going to shift your microbiome. Um, even things like we know that babies who are breastfed versus formula fed have very different microbiomes, including on their skin. The thing is, though, is that we don't know which of these changes really matter. We know that a lot of changes can happen. We know that taking an, an antibiotic for an infection can change your microbiome all over your body, but we don't know which individual pieces are the most important. Um, and so it's really hard to evaluate which changes you can make in your lifestyle or your diet that will be overall good for you. So, But is it a symbiotic relationship that we have with them or does one of us kind of get the better of the other? Yeah, so 
symbioses are, are really interesting because there, there's definitely a symbiosis where both are, are benefiting in their own way. The question, I guess, is it is whether it's a mutualism, right? Are, are both of them benefiting equally or is, yeah, is one winning? Um, I think, I mean, humans need uh, a healthy microbiota. Uh, we know that, um, we know that if you don't have enough exposure to different microbes and different types of, uh, you know, other, whether it's bacteria or fungi, if you don't have exposure to those things, your immune system doesn't really know how to handle stuff in the future. So introducing basically like letting your kids play in some dirt, uh, making sure they have the ability to come into contact with different types of proteins, bacteria, all these different pieces. Um, that's really important to train your immune system. And so we know in like, for instance, rat studies, if the rats don't have a native microbiome, then they have a lot harder time dealing with future infections. So there's some component of this that humans have always evolved with microbes. We've never existed at a point where there haven't been microbes all over us. And so some of our natural processes depend on the microbes. We can't take up the nutrients that we need. Um, we uh, might have even changes in our biochemistry. There's been association with moods based on the microbiome. Uh, so I guess it's sort of a question of where do humans end and our microbiome begins? Or, or should we just consider a microbiome actually part of who we are? I feel like whenever any scientist really starts to study stuff, things just get really confusing. Yeah. That's basic, basically the art of science is just getting more and more unable to define things that, that seem so simple, right? You know, yes. like, what is life? Like, uh, that's a really complicated question, actually. Um, <laughs> so what, what kind of research are you working on right now? Right. So I just finished up my thesis work. Um, so I finished up the PhD in microbiology at UNC Chapel Hill. And my thesis work, I'm glad you brought up probiotics, was actually looking at probiotics for plants. So uh, a lot of companies, and this is becoming a, an even bigger field of study, a lot of companies are looking at whether they can improve plant growth. Uh, instead of adding fertilizers or different kinds of chemicals, they want to know if they can add bacteria and improve how much the plants are growing or if they're able to survive certain environments. For instance, I mean, the, the most studied mutualism between bacteria and plants is like with soybean plants and the rhizobium, these bacteria will come in and form little nodules on the plant roots. It's sort of, if you're going to learn about it in a class, that's what you learn about is these soybean plants where you pull them up and their roots have little bumps on them. And that has something to do with helping the plant. These bacteria are actually fixing the nitrogen. So they're making the nitrogen in the soil available to the plant and the plant can eat them. And then you don't have to add fertilizer into the soil. So that's one really good example of a clear symbiosis between plants and bacteria. What we know though, is that other plants in the soil, 
their interactions with soil bacteria can help them uh, grow during times of drought. It can actually help them prevent infections from other diseases. And companies are asking, how can we take those bacteria that exist in the soil? Can we put them onto plants and solve some of these problems? Um, and it's a really big topic right now because we there's a, been a lot of pushback to people using GMO plants or genetically modified organisms. Uh, there's been pushback about using chemicals and antibiotics and fertilizers. And so the idea is maybe using these bacteria, uh, we can move away from using such environmentally expensive treatments. But can there be pushback? You know, you mentioned GMO, genetically modified organisms. Is that right? That's the, did uh -huh. I get, oh yeah, I got that right. Um, but is there going to be pushback like, oh, they got rid of GMO and now they've got BMO, bacteria-modified <laughs> organisms, and it's going to be the same thing. Like, is there going to be a same reaction to this? You know, I, I think the idea is probably not, uh, because a lot of these bacteria that are being added, most of them have not been modified themselves, which means that they were originally taken from the soil. We took and we made sure that we only had one type of bacterium in our sample, and so we know what it is, but we know that it was originally from the dirt. It's natural. People are very comfortable with the idea of this is something that already existed that could already have been with my lettuce anyway. So yeah, let's put it back on lettuce. Um, that's really the, one of the big ideas is that it's maybe a little bit less Frankenstein. Um, I, I personally try to eat as organic as possible because pesticides and herbicides, fungicides can all stay on the plant for longer, but I am very pro-GMO. I have a sticker of that on my laptop um, because all of the genes that we put into plants are, are genes that are found elsewhere, and, and there's a lot of scrutiny on them. And I think that actually it's a concern of mine that this push away from using GMO and thinking about can we use these kind of in parentheses natural things, whether that's going to be, you know, whether that's going to be driven by science or driven by kind of public opinion that my project basically looked at these pro, uh, these plant probiotics and said, yeah, they can have a benefit, especially in a lab space, but is this benefit enough in the crop system or are we just selling farmers something that we think sounds good that they will be likely to buy that their consumers will buy because it's not GMO uh, or is this something that's actually going to be helping them? You talked about immuno immu God, immunology. <laughs> so what role the ba bacteria play in our immune systems? Uh, bacteria control our entire lives. Like they control my life, of course, but they control just the world and that's why they're the coolest things ever um so i'm kind of i'm more uh, i'm more experienced with the plant side of some of this stuff but like bacteria change the plant's immune system they actually they can shape if, if a plant has no bacteria on it and it encounters a new bacterium, what will happen is that it turns on all these different pathways. It'll put out hormones. It will change where it's sending its energy, what kind of chemicals it's producing uh, because it's having a re immune response to this bacteria. But no matter what the bacteria it is, it usually at least recognizes it. And so good bacteria can program the plant to have a certain immune system, uh, meaning that it's putting out uh, different types of those hormones and, and preparing, for instance, uh, this is one of the coolest things ever, I think, that 
we can take a bacterium called Bacillus subtilis, which is, it's found everywhere. It doesn't hurt people. It doesn't hurt plants. If you put it onto plant roots, then all the way up in the leaves where it's not even touching, the plants have pre-programmed their leaves so that if a pathogen or a bacterium that comes along to make the plant sick, if that lands on the leaves, that plant is actually more ready to defend against that pathogen than if it didn't have these Bacillus subtilis at the roots. So it's sort of like that prep material of, okay, plants, get ready to see some other bacteria because this is a bacteria space. Uh, similar stuff is, is with humans where our immune system is constantly kind of putting out different cells and saying like, hey, this, this cell is meant to defend us against um, anything that has this little flag on it, like this type of protein on it. And your body has to go through this whole process of saying, oh, actually, no, we don't want ourselves to attack something with this little protein on it. We don't want ourselves to attack this bacteria that's actually really good for us. So if we see that attack, we need to get rid of it. Um, it's it's sort of this training program for your body to learn who's the good guys, who's the bad guys, who do we want to keep an eye on. I would imagine that any of these kind of microorganisms, simply because of their life cycle and evolution, that they're actually much more advanced in a way. Is that true? Mm, uh, they, they adapt more quickly, right? Uh, technically, everything is as evolved as each other because everything – even if it's something that hasn't changed a lot for a really, really long time, it's still gone through the same amount of pressure, evolutionary pressure. But what I would say is that let's say you have uh, a guinea pig. You have two guinea pigs, and they have a guinea pig family. And then the guinea pigs keep having families. And over 10 years, you've had, I don't know what the doubling time of guinea pigs is, but uh, you've had 40 rounds of guinea pigs. And you would look at them and say, how, how different are these great, 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 great grandchildren of the first guinea pigs uh, to those original guinea pigs. And you'd say, okay, there's been this amount of change. Like maybe we've seen some changes in uh, color or size or, you know, maybe their eyes are slightly further or, you know, closer together. But with bacteria, they're changing so rapidly Um that, you know, they can have a doubling time, which means that they reproduce essentially in like 20 minutes. Totally depends on the bacteria. It depends on the environment. But the bacterium that most people think of immediately is called E. coli uh, or Escherichia coli. But it, we use it in the lab. It doesn't hurt anything. We use it to study things, though, and it will double every 20 minutes. And so what happens is that over 10 years, I don't even know that math, right? But you've gotten, you've had so many changes that this the final grandchild of that original bacterium could look completely different. It's had all of this opportunity to change and it doesn't have to rely on a bunch of other cells. So for a bacterium, it could change significantly in its behaviors. It might say, oh, I suddenly now prefer a totally different temperature. And that's not a big issue versus in a human, if you were to suddenly, like if you're arms were suddenly to mutate, it would probably affect a lot of your other processes. So it's this combination of really fast reproduction compared to everything else. And also they can change so many aspects without really affecting their overall survivability in certain conditions. I think I just made that more confusing. No, I get it. They basically can adapt quicker. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. 
I feel myself being really semantic. Hold on. <laughs> um, uh, Is that the the dumb guy interpretation? They adapt faster than we can. The tricky part, the thing that I'm getting hung up on, and I think it's it's just a sign of me needing to to go back and think about the SciComm stuff that I do, is that the word adapt is very different than evolve. Are you ready for the harder slash listener submitted questions? Always. What is the most overrated microorganism? Oh, the most overrated microorganism. The most overrated microorganism is uh, the bacterium that causes the plague. So it's called Yersinia pestis. And I think it's super overrated because, yes, it's like destroyed societies and it's this huge player in like world's history. And so that matters. But it's actually pretty easy to kill right now. So I actually got to study some of this as part of the beginning of my graduate school. I got to work with Yersinia pestis. And compared to some of the bacterial infections we're seeing that can't be killed by antibiotics, Yersinia pestis is so easily killed by like really basic antibiotics. And so when people get all freaked out about, oh, there's three incidences of the plague. Well, first of all, those happen, like those infections happen regularly in Colorado. They're transmitted by fleas on ground squirrels. And every couple of years, there's a handful of infections. But of all the bacteria that people think are going to take over the world, like everyone thinks that the plague from Yersinia pestis is going to come back. And I'm like, that is my least concern. It's a glass cannon. Have you ever heard that phrase? I don't think I have, actually. It's a comic book nerd, which I am kind of phrase, where they describe something as a glass cannon. Like, it's very powerful, but it just falls apart as soon as you touch it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Who runs the world? Us or them? Oh, for sure them. I mean, we... They could live without us, right? Like humans could be gone tomorrow and most bacteria would not even notice, including the ones on us. Like most of the ones that live on us can live in a lot of other animals or just out in the environment. There's no way, there's literally no way that we could survive without microbes. Without microbes, we would be covered in just just waste, like not just human waste, but just the world would be covered in detritus of old plants and dust and all this junk that we just think disappears. But it's really microbes doing all of this constant cleaning and production for us. They don't need us at all? It kind of makes me sad, actually. <laughs> they just take yeah. and take and take and... You know, I think we, we definitely have this human-centric idea. So that question of, like, is it is it a mutualism? And it's like, I mean, because we're people. We want to feel like we're giving them something. But they don't really need us. They could be anywhere else. If you had to transform into one of these, would you be an archaea, a virus, a bacteria, or a fungi? Ooh. You know... I really, I like fungi. I think that they are understudied. It's because they're really hard to study. I'm, I'm particularly happy I didn't have to study them for my for my work. We know a lot more about bacteria than we do fungi. Um, and so that's why bacteria get more press. Uh, fungi are super cool. You know, yeast, it makes beer, it makes bread. Uh, you know, I don't think there's any higher calling than being able to make beer and bread. So yeah, I'm going to go fungi. They seem like the happier, fluffier kind of version of it, right? Yeah, you know, they're they're pretty cool. They make hyphae, so they're nice and fluffy, or they can be in little individual, uh, like, spore shapes. And 
there's a bunch of them that can cause some pretty vicious diseases uh, that are really hard for us to target because going back to that idea of this tree of life and when they separate it out, fungi are eukaryotes. So a lot of our antibiotics work because they only target bacterial cells and humans aren't made up of cells that are bacterial. Uh, but the human cells are eukaryotic. Fungal cells are bacteriotic. Sorry. Woo. Human cells are eukaryotic. Fungal cells are eukaryotic. And so it's hard to make chemicals and treatments that are going to target fungi that won't hurt humans. So I don't know. I think, you know, fungi are the come from behind. We're, we're not too worried about them now, but that's, that's the thing that I'm keeping my eye on of like, if, if these decide that they want to take over the world, I'm not sure how we can stop them. You got to watch out for the fungi, huh? Mm-hmm. What are people doing wrong in terms of the world of microorganisms? I think that there is a huge pressure right now and always, uh, but I think it's growing, especially in terms of increased capitalism of who can have the most exciting finding, who can create the one pill cure, who can have the rule that's going to be set in stone forever. Basically, we're trying to simplify it too much in terms of the science, right? It's one thing to be trying to simplify for the sake of communication. And I think we all need to be careful uh, when we communicate with each other to, to make sure it's understandable. But Far too often I see companies and scientists and academics try to make their science sound more exciting or more conclusive and saying, okay, we know if we add this bacterium, we get this result, and so we're going to take this bacterium and spread it around the world, and we're going to fix whatever, human health. Uh, it's, it's just getting too grand. I, I wish we could scale it back a little bit and have less competition for creating knowledge. Um, so I guess that's it's really more towards the scientists studying microbiology. I think one of the things we're doing wrong is that we are overselling because we feel like we have to. That makes sense, right? Like every single research project has to change the world. Otherwise, we're not <laughs> interested, you know? Um, <laughs> Speak flowing right into the next question, which is, what is the most interesting microorganism? Ooh, the most interesting, interesting microorganism. Um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out to Listeria, Listeria monocytogenes. Uh, Listeria is super cool. It's one of my favorite bacteria. I'm, I'm pretty bacteria heavy. Like viruses are amazing, but you got to stick with what you know. So Listeria are super interesting. First of all, like they're a big issue in terms of causing – if you hear on the news, like, oh, there's been a huge outbreak of, uh, why can't I think of the word for this? Food poisoning. There we go. Uh, food poisoning, like Listeria monocytogenes causes a bunch of food poisoning, um, it, especially in like milk or different dairy products or packaged meat. Uh, a while back, there was a really big outbreak with uh, a cantaloupe farm. And the thing with Listeria is that it's not, it's, it's a pretty hardcore food poisoning, uh, where a lot of people end up hospitalized, a lot of people end up dying. But it's so interesting because it is able to survive at cold temperatures and at human temperatures. Um, so, like, it will 
grow at refrigerator temperature. And it's, it's very happy there versus we keep things in the refrigerator so that they don't, um, so they don't go bad, but, but listeria like to be there and they like to be in our bodies. And I just think it's really cool because no matter what we do, we're, we're like, I'm smarter than the bacteria. I'm going to put my milk in the fridge. It's like, listeria doesn't care. It's, it's going to take a nap. It's fine. It's like the honey badger of bacteria. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Perfect. Um, most dangerous one. Most dangerous. You know, I'm going to have to, I think, wow. I mean, I guess we've kind of classified these with, uh, like, biosafety level ratings of E. coli. The ones we use in the lab are, like, a biosafety level one, and biosafety level four are microbes that uh, we don't have cures for. Uh, So that's things like Ebola. I think Ebola virus is just deeply terrifying. Um, But the thing with Ebola virus, right, is that it, it... it's not super transmissible. You have to actually be touching the fluid. Uh, so I think that, man, what's the most terrifying? I guess I love them so much. I think they're so cool. So even when they're scary, like even during this time of pandemic where everything is terrifying, I'm also just digging into understanding coronavirus. Um, and so it's really exciting. I guess the scariest topic for me is antibiotic resistance where, we're just getting to the point with certain diseases that we used to be able to easily wipe them out. And because of our behaviors and not, not doing this responsibly, we're getting to a point where we're going to be set back 200 years and suddenly say, we can't treat with antibiotics. We've got to just treat your symptoms and not cure you of that bacterium. Tell me about PhD balance. Ooh, PhD balance. Um, So yeah, I I founded PhD Balance in my second to last year of grad school. So this was back in March of 2018. And it came about because I read a paper saying that about somewhere between 25 and 40% of graduate students were dealing with signs of anxiety or depression. And this really hit home for me because I was a graduate student who has always dealt with depression and anxiety. And I've had a really hard year that the year before. And I saw this and I really wish I had known that statistic because I wish I felt like I could reach out and talk to somebody. And so I founded this page on Instagram. It was supposed to be just like a, get a handful of people together to talk about our experiences and support each other. It was originally called PH depression and shared some of my story and and shared it with a photo of like, Hey, here's the person that you normally see, but here's the story going on behind it. And it just took off. Like people, wanted to come and share their stories. They talked about anxiety, about postpartum depression, about bipolar disorder, about traumatic abuse, all of these different pieces. Uh, And it started spreading out to being something of just a place for graduate students to talk to each other about some of the taboo topics that everyone sort of feels like they are the only one to experience. It's something that they should be ashamed of, whether it's problems with an advisor or difficulties with financial situations or difficulties with mental health, uh, making places for people to actually talk about those things and learn from each other experiences. That's pretty much all the questions I have. What's coming up next for you? So let's see. Uh, So I'm continuing to run PhD Balance. I now have a team of about 20 volunteers all spread out over the world, and they're 
the best people I get to interact with. It's an amazing group of folks. Uh, I'm also really leaning into my interest in science communication. I did some while I was in grad school through a local planetarium and through Instagram and Twitter, but uh, now working as a marketer for a company called Grant Engine that's pretty cool. They actually write government grants. So they write the grants for a company to get government funding. Uh, And so my job is that I get to talk to scientists who we think could benefit from that government funding. I get to talk to different funders and explain why their companies should be applying to these sort of things. So I get to talk to scientists, to business people, and also get to play with some of of my marketing skills. I want to thank Dr. Harris so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we have also included her information on the RSS feed that's on this podcast. Okay. Now let's go ahead and give John Shaw a call. Howdy ho, good neighbor. (sighs) I had to look at my phone to see if, if I was actually connected to you. I'm. You can speak now for my fantastic I'm just entrance. so angry. I'm just so angry. It's not that you did You shouldn't it. be angry. I should be angry because it's not that you did that. It's that you've done it before. Like, do something new. You know, the spotlight hits you and you go back to what works. You know, it, it works so well every other time. What what indication did you have that it worked well? I the the thousands of uh, positive feedback that I've received. So nothing. In other words, in other words, you went to the well. The well was dry. You tried to do something and it just didn't work out. This leads me really into my question for you: Would you consider yourself to be a smart man? Mm, like, what kind of smart are we talking about? Street smart, book smart, just overall smart. Like, if somebody met you for the first time, and afterwards they walked away and they were like, hmm, would that person think, like, oh, that's a smart guy? I, I would say overall probably, yeah, I'm, I, I mean, I'm smart, I suppose. I'm not, I'm not dumb more than I'm smart, if that makes sense. <laughs> not, in, not in the English language. I don't believe that that, <laughs> that made any sense of that butchering of grammar. But, no, I know what you mean, right? Like, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1, you can't tie your shoes, 10, you're the <laughs> smartest man alive. Where are you going to go ahead and say that you are? I'm probably at like a 4. That's below average, so then you wouldn't be necessarily a smart man. Well, I mean, you said 10, like the smartest man alive, so I'm thinking like 9 is like super, super smart, 8 is like, you know... Uh, Harvard professor. Seven's like a college, you know, like a regular college professor. Six is like, you know, uh, a smart businessman. So I'm like, I'm like just below them, you know, like I'm smart, but I don't, you know, I'm not to that level. Okay. So then by that logic though, two is where smart starts making one complete, making the whole scale completely irrelevant. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, Tying your shoes. <laughs> you know what? I think I think we've answered our question here. I think I think we have an answer to the question. <laughs> I, listen, I, I mean, I would say I'm an average smart person. I have more intelligence on subject some subjects than others. Okay, what, I feel what is it? Everyone's so, like that. All right, what is something that you know about then? 
besides 80s wrestling? First off, that's a fantastic thing to know about, just FYI. Um, does, does that have to be something other than nerdum? Can it be? I don't know. I'm not smart outside of nerd things. Um, so you have. So in other words, what you're saying is that you're not a smart man and you have no practical knowledge whatsoever. Would you consider yourself a smart man? I would say. Okay, this is this is what this is what I would say about me. I would say that I have more horsepower than most, but I can't get it to the wheels. <laughs> Like, like I actually understand what that means. Uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I, w- I would say that I have good. F- I have good intelligence, but I can't use it for anything. Like it's certainly not gotten me anywhere. That's for damn sure. As where I, w- I would say that I have a fast car, but you know it's 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 on empty fifty percent of the time. Oh, that's that makes a, that makes sense, right? Like you can't really drive it anywhere. Like, it's probably yeah. not going to go anywhere, but if it could, it can get up there. Like, I, I guess I, I like to say that I'm knowledgeable on things that I care about. But, you know, if you ask me to, you know, change a, a light bulb, I can do it, but I can't tell you everything about it, if that makes sense. Like, I'm smart when it comes to things I care about. I, I was thinking about this. I really don't know very much about anything. Like, there's not one thing I could point to that if somebody needed help with something, they would call me. Yeah, but maybe maybe that's because you're just well-rounded and, like, you know a little bit about a lot, but not, not a lot about certain things. You know, not really. <laughs> not really I when mean, you get right down to it, no. You you got a Kansas State history major, or a history degree. You got to know something about something. Ooh, ask me something about the Roman Empire. I could probably tell you about that. Uh, see, and I, I, I'm blanking. Was Julius Caesar part of the Roman Empire? Yes, Julius Caesar was part of the Roman Empire, and actually it's pronounced Caesar. See, I learned something, and I didn't even want to learn it. That's how smart you are. All right, let's move on. What do you got? <laughs> uh, that was, that was enlightening. Thank you, Caesar. Or Caesar, whatever you just well, said. It, look, um, if you've ever wondered why they pronounce it like the Russian czar... It's because it's basically that's derived from the word Kazar, which is actually how you pronounce it. Oh, interesting. Any more tidbits about the Roman Empire you want to throw out there? Not really. <laughs> no. All right. Uh, are we? Are we? Are we done? Are we? Are we moving? I'm waiting on, on just... you. I, everybody's waiting on you. Everyone's always waiting on me. My entire goddamn life. All right. Um, let's throw it out. Let's give some shout-outs here. Um, Getting right to the point. We'll start uh, with Patty. Appreciate you. <laughs> Brian Banana. <laughs> sure, that's not your last name, but uh, thanks for checking us out on Twitter. Uh, Nita. Ivan Argoti. I'm sure I destroyed that, but thank you anyways, brother. Uh, Lucy Dodsworth. Jessica Green. Paulo. Harrison Campbell. Craig and William Newman. You guys get the gold stars for the week. Check us out. Profoundly Pointless, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, we're still on Facebook. We're sputtering along, but we're still there, so Look, check here, us out. Here's my question that you bring this up. Do you know anybody that has a last name that is based around a fruit? <laughs> uh, I mean, not off the top of my head. I don't think I know anyone that has any kind of name related to a fruit. Okay, well, one of our guests two episodes ago was Michelle Apple. Thanks for paying attention to who's on the show. Nice job. 
such a terrible thing to do. Like, I, it's like I'm thinking of, of no offense, Michelle, but like I'm thinking of her right off the top of my head. Come on. I don't think I know of anyone besides Michelle Apple with the last name. Well, actually, there's a football player. His name's Eli Apple. There you go. If you were going to change your name to John, last name of based off of some fruit, what would it be? Ooh. The first thing that comes to my mind, not even thinking, is coconut. <laughs> John, John Coconut. <laughs> I would be Nick Pineapple. <laughs> of course you would be. Is there a reason why? Do you, do you like pineapple? I just like it. <laughs> just I like the way that it grows. You know, it's got enough syllables. It's a pain in the ass for people to spell. Just annoys people and and it enjoys me. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm going to go with it. All right, let's move Ooh, on. I don't know if I if I don't know if I can spell pineapple. Well, it's pine and then apple. So why don't you <laughs> why don't you go ahead and give it a shot? <laughs> uh, never mind. See, thank you. I once again, I, I felt like I knew it, but I felt like I didn't know it, and you just told me, "Hey, you idiot, you do know it." So thank you. Can you spell coconut? <laughs> uh yes all right I, let's hear it <laughs> oh boy uh c-o-c-o-n-u-t you know what the thing is i gotta look it up i'm pretty sure that should be <laughs> i think i'm right but the fact that you have to look it up is kind of frightening me so well just in case <laughs> just in case you might be wrong so i can make fun of you for the next 10 oh, minutes coconut. what'd you say C-O-C-O-N-U-T. That is correct. Nice job. All right, let's move on. We should have a spelling bee one of these episodes. That'd be fun. Um, No, I think we're done with it. (laughs) We're we're just done. Uh, All right. Um, You have to pick one to drive. A a Jeep, like a 4x4 Jeep, or an F-150. What kind of Jeep are we talking? We talking like the the four-door Jeep? We talking the two-door Jeep? I'm talking a four-door Jeep, uh, like off-road, and the same thing with with the with the truck. You know, like an off-road. Like which one? Are, which one are you going with? Simply, it's a simple answer. Question. Question. Oh my god! It's a question to fucking answer. It's not that hard. Okay, the Jeep. All right, moving on. Um, ice <laughs> ice cube trays. Are you going with like the rubber, the rubber kind, or the hard plastic? I'm not going with any. I'm not putting all that effort into all that stuff, man. Look, if there's if if you don't have an if you don't have an ice maker, I'm just I'm not having ice. There's no ice in my house. I'm not going in there and filling up these trays and breaking them up and all that crap every time. Like you're just gonna have to live without ice. All right, you'll be all right. <laughs> do, do your children just start crying for no particular reason at points in their life, and you just sit there and go? Yep, I've done a great job so far. Every once in a while. I mean, I did find my youngest just laying on the floor today, and I just walked past him. So he's, I mean, he's still breathing. <laughs> I mean, at least, I mean, you, you've gotten him to where he's at so far, so you're doing something right. I'm just not going to do that, right? Like, are you going to, you're going to go fill up an ice tray every single time you want ice so that your Diet Coke can be a little bit colder? I'm not putting in all that effort for no reward. Put your drink in the fridge and shut the fuck up about it. I mean, coming from a man who drinks Diet Dr. Pepper, I don't know if you should be making fun of people 
I'm not uh, making based fun. Upon that. I'm not making fun of people for drinking diet soda. I'm making fun of people who think, pop, you know what? Off. It is pop. I'm from the Midwest. I should know better. I'm Jesus just making Christ. fun of people who say, like, you know what? 33 degrees, not cold enough. Got to drop this down to 32. <laughs> I, l- listen, I'm I, I'm an ice. Of course, I'm an ice cube maker. Like, I, I love the ice cube trays. That you know, that's me though. Of course, what, I do. What do you mean you love it? Like you enjoy filling them up? Do you make special shapes? <laughs> I have made special shapes. Yes. Have you really? <laughs> we have. We have. Uh, this is actually kind of funny because ever since our dinosaur episode, people make fun of me now that have listened to my personal life that I don't like dinosaurs. But getting back to the point, we have a dinosaur ice cube tray, uh, you know, ice cube tray, and it makes little dinosaur shapes, and I fucking love it. For those who maybe aren't familiar with this, John doesn't believe in dinosaurs. It's not that I don't <laughs> And, and for those who are just listening for the first I'm time. I'm going to edit this out. There's no explanation. <laughs> That's terrible. All right. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> what, okay. What, what's your favorite What's your favorite dinosaur-shaped ice cube? I like the brontosaurus because it's a little longer. It's a little thinner and a little longer. It seems actually really inconvenient to break it out of there, honestly. And it doesn't really seem like it would accomplish the job very well. Like the surface <laughs> area isn't going to be very good. I mean, I understand the idea of it, but in practicality, in terms of actually cooling your drink, it's not very good. No, I mean, it's definitely more for, you know, uh, aesthetic purposes. I mean, it's not... They're just fucking cool, okay? I don't know what to tell you, all right? Okay. I have an ice maker, too, in my fridge, but I never connected the water line. So I physically, you know, I, I make the ice cubes instead of just being lazy and just hooking up the water line and just being able to, you know, to get ice that way. So I should tell you a little bit about my life. That's an amazing example of why you refuse to perform one act of why your laziness is, is how you can be lazier by being lazy, right? Like you can perform one act of work and then be even lazier, but instead out of pure stubbornness, you're going to refuse to do it. That's a, Exactly. It is stubbornness. Okay, yeah, it's, that's it's, it's, <laughs> got nothing else. Oh, I was going to go into the story about how me and my wife got into this argument one time over ice cubes. It's, it, but it doesn't matter. It, Wait a it minute, what, what did you get in an? How do you get it into an argument over ice cubes? Did you like my pa- minute story here? Then please, God, no one wants to hear any more about ice cubes. I was making a, ice cubes. I was taking it out. I was, I apparently I was, you know, you have to crack the tray to get the ice cubes out. I, I was cracking it too aggressively. She said, like, I wasn't being gentle enough with the ice cube tray. So then I proceeded to break the ice cube tray in half because I just I just bent it and broke it like a, like a jackass. And then she went into this rant of, well, if you would have just hooked up the water line when we first moved into the house, we wouldn't even have to have these stupid things. Yeah, I don't know why you haven't hooked up the water line. I mean, that's not relatively difficult to do, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure I could do it, but I, I haven't done it, and now I won't do it because she was chastising the way I was getting out ice cubes out of an ice cube. You don't do that to a man. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's a weird thing to criticize. I'll give you that a little bit. What was the overall result? Like, were you messing up the ice cubes? Did they not come out very well? Or was the or was the performance fine and she was just nitpicking? No, I was like, she, she had a right to a certain degree because I was like putting creases in the ice cube tray but 
it wasn't that you... big of a deal. They're like 99 cent ice cube trays. You know what I mean? Like they're supposed to be replaced every couple of years. Right. No, I'm going to go ahead and side with her because that you're just throwing money away right there. <laughs> I mean, whatever. I mean, this happened when we first moved into the house years ago. So, I mean, it's, we're fine now. She just not, she's not getting an ice cube maker in the fridge until we get a new fridge, which is going to be God knows how many more years. So I appreciate it, right? I, I appreciate the pettiness. I appreciate the stubbornness. <laughs> I like it. I mean, you created an incredible amount of more hardship and work for yourself, but you got to stick to your principles. So go do you, man. Um, listen, I, I appreciate that. All right. The last one has, it's literally lame compared to our last, our, our previous conversation, but, uh, um, <laughs> I don't want to ask it because it's, <laughs> it's so lame, but, but now, now I'm going to, and I'm going to, so the question is, it's a simple yes or no question. It's, are you going to vote in the, in the fall? Yeah. Perfect. That was, I asked, you had all I that build that, up for that? Well, it was supposed to be like, you know, the ice cube thing wasn't supposed to be a 20 minute thing. And then, you know, the voting I ask because I think it's super important and I know we never get into politics on this show, but. I've talked to several people in my life that are like, I'm not going to vote because I don't like either candidate. This is my pledge to everyone to please go and vote, you know, and now now we'll move on to our top five. So basically you asked that question in order to go on your political rant. I didn't rant. I just think it's important. And I think, you know, I just wanted to get it out there. You know, I just I just wanted to say it. So I said it. The only thing that I never understand. Look, I'm a believer that people should vote, but I don't understand why. People try to convince other people to necessarily vote. You don't know if they're going to vote for the person you're voting for. I think you just uh, – the people just need to vote. To me, I, I I think the answer is clear if people vote. And that's not me saying who I vote for one way or the other. You know, But people need to go out in numbers and then you know that's what wins elections, right? Like, But it's people who are so, oh, I don't want this candidate, but I, you know, I don't want to vote for that candidate, so I'm just going to sit here. Like That doesn't do good for anybody. All right, you done? <laughs> I, I was done, but they, see now you got me going. Now I'm hot. I'm sweating, man. And I just started a diet. Like I should not be sweating this bad. Get you some ice cubes, man. Get you some ice cubes. Go in there, crack a tray or two. Listen, man. Let's let's move on. This Wait, top here's, here's be my, a lot better. Here's my question: How many ice individual ice cube trays do you have in your freezer right now? Four. Okay. Do you feel like that's enough? Do you? Think you have too much? Do you feel like you should buy another one? <laughs> no, that's four. Four is plenty enough. Okay, twelve ice cubes um, each. Y- yes, I mean I don't know. I'm going to say yes on that, but I don't know. I don't know the actual number, but that sounds about right. All right, I mean that's fine as long as you're not having people over, I guess. Right? Because forty-eight <laughs> ice cubes for a Super Bowl party—that's not nearly enough ice cubes. You got to start stockpiling <laughs> ice cubes way ahead of time. <laughs> Oh, man. I usually buy a bag of ice for that, right? And then, you know, my dinosaur ice cubes just get made fun of, so. They should be. All right, so our top five is top five things that other people like that you don't understand. Like, you don't understand why people like this thing at all. What's your number five? Posing for pictures. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do, then, in the picture? You just stare forward? emotionless <laughs> i don't put yourself in that situation to have to like get your picture taken and you know look like an idiot wait a minute 
Are you against it because you look like an idiot in the pictures? Personally, yeah, I, I, I hate I hate taking pictures because I, I hate seeing myself in a photograph because it looks like Shamu fucked a grizzly bear. It does actually. Well, <laughs> a, a, albino grizzly bear and albino killer whale, but yes, you you get the point. No, I get it. I mean, I don't generally like posed pictures just because I feel like you stopped the thing that you were doing to pose for the picture. Like, I'd rather have kind of a real-time picture necessarily, but I don't have a huge problem with it. I mean, as a married man with two children, I understand that I'm going to have to pose for a picture at least four times a day in related to something. <laughs> well, I, I, I try to fight the good fight, but I lose it, so... I bitch and moan, and then I end up having to take the photo anyways. So yeah, I've just you got to be haven't been married as long as I have, and you don't haven't understood the process of just giving up. Just get it <laughs> over with and be done with it. Stop fighting over ice cubes your whole life. My number five is just country music. Well, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a fan of country music, so I, I can't you know I can't really comment on why it's you know not not good i mean i think it's good i you know i understand your point though or or you're saying that there's a lot of people who do not like it so it's basically all the same song Mm, i mean okay this is good (laughs) the mainstream stuff yes but when you actually get down to the real artists who actually take time and write their own music and record it which doesn't get a lot of airtime that's like the good country music that never gets out there okay give me one example and a song please my wedding song per se Russell Dickerson, Chris Stapleton. That's not a real name. His name is not Russell Dickerson. Is that his real name? That's it the, is, yes. That's the fakest. That's the name that I would like give to the cops if I didn't have an ID. <laughs> Russell Dickerson. Okay, sir. What's your real name? No, it's really Russell Dickerson. Well, I don't know if he'll ever watch or listen to this, but uh, I'm, I, I apologize in advance okay. for making fun of your name. <laughs> this is terrible. Russell, no, that's not a real name, sir. <laughs> Russell Dickerson. Russ sure, Dick. get on the ground. Good old. Kays are deployed. We got a Russ Dick over here making trouble by this <laughs> quickie mart. We got a Russ Dick over here. <laughs> not a real name. Okay, what's your number four? Uh, New Year's Eve parties. Ooh, man, your list is good today. I'm sure it's going to disappoint towards the end of it, but that's a right, man. Yeah, that's a yeah. good one. Yeah. What's your number four? Golf. <laughs> yeah, I would say so far my list is a little better than yours. I mean, <laughs> uh, once I mean I, I golf from time to I don't have a t- I don't have a problem with golf. Golf is fine. What's your what's your issue with it? It's just not that fun. It's not that fun. And it's expensive, really, for the most part. And it's a poor thing in terms of like, all right, I want to get some exercise. Well, there's much better forms of exercise. There's much cheaper ways to get drunk with your friends. And there's much better ways to be outside. A very good golfer once told me the only that like golf is fun when you're good at it. And there aren't very many of us that are good at it. So it's not that much fun. Okay, I agree. Are we on number three? What's your number three? <laughs> Just moving on. Uh, uh, people who spend hours, if not most of their day, on social media. Okay, I mean, that feels like a personal rant, necessarily, against people. No, I mean, it's. I could rant, sure, but it, I'm not going to. It's just, it's just you know. What about people who that's their, that's their job? 
And that's, I mean, that's fine. There's people's jobs who are professional golfers, but like, you know, it, it is what it is. It's fine if it's your profession. I'm talking more, more or less like in people's personal lives when you're just on the couch or if you're out to dinner, you know, and people are just on their phones or, or doing whatever, you know, it's, I just, just, I don't like it. Okay. I mean, I understand it if you're out there on your days off, not on social media, blazing trail or caring for puppies or saving the rainforest. But if you're just watching TV all day, then that doesn't count. Like, oh, you're just on social media all day? Meanwhile, I've binge-watched the Umbrella Academy. Like, you're both kind of just wasting time. One way of wasting time isn't better than the other way of wasting time. I I just, you know, I just, I, I think, well, it's, it's a rant. All right, let's move on to your number three. Okay. Scarves. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh <laughs> Is there any particular reason? I just think that scarves are stupid. I just think that in general, scarves are stupid. They're not as dumb for women as they are for men, but in no point of my life have I ever felt like, wow, my neck is just cold. It's just a waste. It's just stupid. That along with those dumb bubble vest things where it's just the vest. At no point in my life have I ever thought to myself, oh, wow, my neck is cold. Or, oh, wow, you know what? My arm's pretty hot, but my core, cold. <laughs> it's just stupid. I mean, I, I, I get it. I, I, I get it. I mean, you know, my I have three chins to protect my neck, so I don't need a scarf. What's your number two? <laughs> uh, energy drinks. Oh, God, your list is fired. That's a good one, too. Right? It's basically yeah, the same. You're basically just destroying your body. I mean, I, I've never had one. That has never been mixed with alcohol before, and I don't plan on ever doing it. I don't think that I have either, actually. I think anytime I've had an energy drink, it's been mixed with alcohol. And, like, I'm not the most healthiest guy, so for me to say that, something must be a little suspect with energy drinks. Like, I, I don't know. I just, not for me, my friend. Does it have more caffeine in it than a coffee? It's a good question. I, I don't know. Okay, I'm Googling it right now. What is your guess? I'm going to say that they have more. Oh, no. Coffee is actually significantly more. Uh, a Starbucks Grande Cafe Americana, 225 milligrams of caffeine, Red Bull 80. Oh, that's a lot more caffeine. I don't know anything if that's like a special kind of coffee necessarily. I don't know about coffee. Um, but that's <laughs> a lot more caffeine. Speaking of which, my number two is actually coffee. I, I like coffee, but I understand, you know, why people don't or people who don't like coffee look at people who do like coffee like they're morons but i get it it just doesn't taste good to me at all and i don't run this, I, mean, I, I don't buy the thing about an acquired taste because that basically means like oh maybe homeless homeless guy piss is an acquired taste too like why drink something that's disgusting enough that you finally start to like it but yeah you you know you drink like liquor right and that's an acquired taste uh, maybe yeah i don't know I'm not. Especially I'm not because you're going to like Seattle's, like you know, Mini Mart and buying the bottom shelf three ninety nine, you know, three dollar ninety nine cent bottle of of whiskey. Get you some ten high, baby. That stuff's nine ninety nine for a half gallon. Jesus Christ! <laughs> That'll rot every part of your body. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't support that. That sounds terrible. It's pretty bad. I love it. 
Um, oh, there are some there are some energy drinks though that have as much as four hundred milligrams of caffeine. That's five cups of coffee. So there you go. It does, as a whole, seem to have a lot more caffeine. Uh, what's your number one? Uh, reality TV. Oh, that's mine too. Really? Yeah, Damn reality it. TV. That was mine too. Uh, uh, well, I mean, you know, we haven't had the same number one in a while, so I guess I'll allow it. Okay, but what's one reality TV show that you're like, all right, I can get behind that? Does The Masked Singer count? Is that reality TV? Oh, my God. That's like the worst of the reality. What else would it be? Uh, a singing competition? A oh, yeah, I guess you're kind of right there. No, I feel like if they're following somebody's story, then it's then it's reality TV necessarily. I don't know. Maybe that. All right. That one's definitely that's that's pretty close to the line where it could it, it's blurring it pretty good because they're already famous people, right? Yeah, I've never seen it. Have no intention of seeing it. The second I saw it, I was like, "That's dumb." <laughs> I mean, it's to me, it's no different than Dancing with the Stars. But either way, I don't think those are reality TV. Like, I can't necessarily tell you. I don't a show that I've watched. I used to watch my Six Hundred Pound Life. That was it. Like, I don't, dude. I can't stand. Well, fuck. I watch wrestling. Is that reality TV? No. That's edutainment. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can't dude, I can't stand reality TV. I don't... Uh, I mean, no offense to our listeners who do. More power to you, but I, I can't do it at all. Like, any form of it. I can do some of these, like... Well, there's only one show that I can watch. Million Dollar Listing New York. With my boy Frederick. <laughs> okay. That's the so, only show that I'm awesome. like... That's the only one that I can stand. What's in your honorable mention? Uh, let's see. So for fun, I put softcore porn, <laughs> um, anime porn, <laughs> uh, uh, KFC. What? KFC is uh, delicious, man. I think it's overrated. Um, I put board games, cats. <laughs> oh, cats is a good one. Yeah, I don't understand <laughs> cats at all. That's kind of That kind of rounds out my list. Um, I have the Eagles was, oh wait, no, these are, th these are ones, pe sorry, these are ones people mentioned to us. Um, the Eagles, ketchup and mustard, the TV show Friends, coffee was mentioned, wine was mentioned, and amusement parks. I agree with that. I think amusement parks, like, once you get out of your 20s, like, I'm not going to an amusement park. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good one, actually. Amusement parks are really good. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. Would love to hear what you guys what you guys think are some things that you just don't understand why other people want to do this. I really think there's probably some fascinating suggestions out there. I also want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. Leave a review if you can. We like reading reviews because I think that's, you know, if, if you send a comment to us, like you're obviously with the understanding that we're going to read that. But in a review, you can say something and we might never see it. So you can really do whatever you want. Hopefully they're good, but like respect to you if they're bad. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death 
in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.